0: if someone says, oh, but I just want to have financial security. I just want to be secure. All that saying is how deeply insecure you are. To the extent you need security just represents to the extent you are insecure within your own soul.
1: Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, when Philip McCurran watched Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time, his perspective was completely and utterly changed. You see, Indiana Jones cared immensely, but didn't care what people thought of him. He lived a wild, An amazing, carefree life that was deeply connected to humanity and its history. And since then, Philip has traveled the world, embarking on his own adventures and making an impact in his own unique way. He's caddied for the president of Ireland. He's been chased and nearly killed by a bull elephant in Nigeria. He's made wine in Australia, built an orphanage in Peru, written five books despite being dyslexic, and created a documentary film called Give and Grow. This film, by the way, explores how the gift of giving makes us feel more worthy and alive, as well as the science behind the impact of giving on our emotional well-being, our mental health, our physiology, and our businesses. Through all of this, Philip came to believe that the path to a happy and fulfilling life is found through the meaning we derive in life through the work we do, our relationships with others, and the most important relationship of all— that is the relationship we have with ourself. Discovering the gifts that Philip discovered about himself for inspiring others were very difficult. In fact, Philip said his gifts have been dragged out of him, that they've been brought to the surface kicking and screaming, and unfortunately, that is what a lot of us need in order to impact the world using our gifts as opposed to our talents. So many of us are lost when we try to make an impact because our God-given gifts get tied up with the inherent need to matter or to be seen, and we really don't understand how to separate the two anymore. But as Philip says, if you're tying your gift to some kind of recognition or result— you're not really allowing your gift to shine, and I totally believe that. In fact, I've devoted a whole part of my book called Master the Key, A Story to Free Your Potential, Find Meaning, and Live Life on Purpose. That The, the part on gifts talks about this. So take a moment to consider who you are seeking validation from, not if you are seeking validation, but who you are seeking it from. This need for validation may drive you to a A degree of financial success but it's never going to drive you to feel fulfilled or satisfied and you do deserve fulfillment in your life we both do we all do just as much as you deserve success so bust out your pens and paper take some notes embrace for impact with this powerful interview and conversation with my new friend philip mckernan Philip McKernan, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It has been a long time coming. I've I've watched you from afar, really admire your work, and I'm excited to share your story and the impact you're having globally uh, with my audience.
0: Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Yes, and and uh, as people might hear from your accent, you're from a beautiful country originally called Ireland, which is uh, my my forefathers' homeland. And I have yet to go, but my wife and I are actually uh, are actually going to Ireland in 2019 uh, for our 40th birthday and our 50, 15th wedding anniversary.
0: Excellent. So well, I hope not you will it. not be, so, not be <laughs> disappointed.
1: <laughs> we will. I'm,
0: to- I'm totally biased, but I think it's, it's just an <laughs> extraordinary, extraordinary country.
1: So when you think back to uh, your childhood and, and maybe even your adolescence, as your, your really your formative years, what did you imagine yourself doing Versus what you thought you had to do?
0: You know, honestly, I didn't, I don't remember imagining I would do much. I think that was part of the problem. I didn't think I was going to, I I couldn't imagine much because I I didn't think I was going to amount to much. Um, That's the first time I've said that actually in that way. But uh, yeah, I didn't, I found it difficult to look or to consider what was possible in my future because of the challenging nature of my relationship at that time with myself and how I existed in the world. So I didn't have a whole lot of confidence. I suppose there was this unspoken expectation that I would leave school, I would get a job in sales because that's what my dad did, that's what my brothers did. and So that was always unspoken. But I mean, that was later when I was in my kind of, you know, kind of later teenage years. I, I don't really know. All I can tell you is this, is that growing up as a younger child, my hero, I'll never forget the day I watched the first Indiana Jones movie. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely, completely and utterly annihilated every perspective I had of the world. Now, I'd love to say that he inspired me to actually kind of pursue elements of his life, adventure and travel, which actually did happen. So I think he did. But at that time, I actually felt that he was everything in this world that I was not. He was brave. He was courageous. He was He was good-looking he, he 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 was a, he cared immensely but yet he didn't give a shit uh what people thought about him um and he just basically lived this wild amazing carefree yet deeply you know connected to humanity and caring deeply for humanity and its history so anyway indiana jones was definitely a pivotal figure in my life in, in some respects
1: how old were you when you wa- first watched indiana jones and the lost ark it was the first one probably that's the one that you saw right
0: uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think it was the Lost. first one. Yeah, the, yeah, I'll never forget the scene where he in the jungle, and it represented everything. Like I just, I just thought, I thought from that moment forth, uh, South America represented this, this holy grail. And ironically, right. just before I go back to that, the, ironically. I I set a a vision that I would always go to South America. And the very first time I was offered an opportunity to go with one of my friends, uh, I couldn't afford it and I didn't have the time. And I decided I was going to do it regardless. And I ended up going on that trip and meeting my wife. So it's, 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 there's a weird, you know, kind of example of, of, or how Indiana Jones has, has in some way, shape, or form influenced my life. How old I was, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how old the movie is. I, I imagine I saw it. At home uh, in my living room, uh, I may have gone to the movies. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember.
1: Mm. You know, you, there's just there's something there that you just mentioned that I think is so important. You just talked about risk for a second. You touched on something. You a friend offered you the opportunity to go to, to South America. You didn't have the time. You didn't have the money. For most people, they would say that's too risky, right? Like they they can't they can't do it. But what what most people fail to realize is that everything is risk all the time it's just a matter of trade trade offs it's just a matter of you know understanding what's at stake and being open to the possibilities and like had you not gone there like who knows what the trajectory of your life would be right now i mean it's it's amazing when you take risks and you just lean in what amazing yep. things can happen
0: Absolutely. I mean, I could go for a walk around this neighborhood later on and arguably it's a risk because I could get hit by by a bus or you know, eaten by a bear, maybe not this time of the year, but, you know, I mean, I think, and I don't, you know, sound flippant or stupid about it, but it's, um, it is, I mean, just intuitively it felt so right. Today we live in a world where if I was given an opportunity, you know, now at that same age, um, irrespective of maybe the financial constraints, and the time off, etc., even if I decided to go, I'd probably get in a drone and I'd fly through the area and I'd understand it and I'd research it to death and back and I would take the degree of spontaneity out of it. So I think absolutely. And every time that I follow my gut, every time I follow my intuition in life, period. Business, life, the work I do, speaking, every time on a stage, I follow my intuition. It has served me. And every time I try to get too clever because I'm insecure, or I'm afraid of making a mistake, or I try to be funny, or I try to be, you know, bring the conversation. If I over try, it tends to either fall flat or fall flat in its face. And that's been my experience in life.
1: When was the first time that you really Kind of had that aha moment for, for lack of a better term, where, where you were in the moment, you were following your intuition, your gut instinct, and it worked. And then you made like a mental catalog of, I've got to pay attention to that next time.
0: I know exactly there was two points I mean there's been various ones but two ones that were I would say fairly significant catalysts in my life one was a best man speech which I've shared this story a couple of times before where I was asked to be a best man Uh, it was an old theater in this hotel so I was on a stage my worst nightmare because I did not want to be seen by the world I did not want to be recognized I certainly didn't want to stand on a stage and share anything and up to the previous couple of weeks I decided I was going to be funny then I was going to try and and try and be intelligent and super smart in other words it was the, the speech was all about me? I, I, it was a, I was speaking about this couple and my friend, but really it was all about me. I was making the entire thing about me, and I recognise that's a that's a, a challenge for a lot of people who want to make an impact in the world. We want to make an impact, but we want to look good doing it. Um, and I didn't realise at the time, but I was I was I was all about how do I look good, albeit giving a great speech for the bride and groom and it was I'd love to say it was a moment of awareness or whatever it was just pure frustration and pure exhaustedness I just said screw this I let it all go I stood on the stage I shared what I felt about the bride and groom I absolutely slagged the shit we say slag or or ripped my friend apart like I (coughs) made fun of him I crushed him which was my job Um, and nothing he wouldn't have done to me but at the end I pivoted and I shared how I felt truly about this wonderful man and the audience went bananas and they got a standing It was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever, one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever experienced. And I came down off that stage and a man walked up to me who I've never met before and I've never met since. Tears pouring down his face and he looked at me, hugged me and said, if I ever get married, will you be my best man?
1: Oh man.
0: And I, and of course he, but he wasn't like, he was obviously joking, but not, he was so moved. And I just turned around and said, F you kind of thing, like in a joking, that's what we do in Ireland. You're going to notice that when you go there with your wife. And uh, he said, no, man, you've got a gift. Now, did my life shift from that moment forward significantly? Was there a Hollywood moment where I went to North America and everything was amazing? No, not even close, but it opened up a possibility inside of me Mm -hmm. and it allowed me to begin to dream and think and to feel what was possible in the future that I couldn't ordinarily imagine. That was probably the most pivotal example I can give you as it
1: relates to your question. I think that's a really powerful moment and our lives are a series of these impact moments that, as we were talking about before we hit record, that really ultimately shape who we are and what we're capable of becoming and and how we respond to them. But I want to go backwards because something you said at the beginning of our conversation was that you didn't really imagine yourself doing anything because you you didn't feel like you were going to amount to anything. So you had this moment as the best man where you your light is shining, uh, but juxtapose that against you know the young Philip who doesn't believe he's going to amount to anything. Where did what was going on in your world? were there people in your life that were telling you that? Like I had somebody in my life at a young age literally say you shouldn't do X because you're you're gonna, you're not going to amount to anything. I literally had someone say that to me. So that was obviously a scar that I had to just deal with and work through. How about yourself?
0: Yeah, I mean I've I've had a number of those. I had a very similar situation where I went to school, I couldn't read and write, so dyslexia has been something that I've been challenged with my entire life and they didn't understand it but i remember a teacher one day saying why do you even come to school and i said sorry she says why do you even come and trust me i didn't want to go it felt like i was sent to prison every single day and this teacher looked at me one day and said you know what you you amount to nothing in this room and you're going to mount to nothing out there and she pointed out the window and you know when you're 13 14 fat camera the exact age you you will believe that shit because you're you're hearing it from an authoritative figure and mm-hmm. um, so that was kind of the voice or one of the voices but also the internal voice you know in hindsight really when i look back that sound mm-hmm. might sound dramatic it might sound like that person i mean that person would just have their own shit going on they were just very unhappy in their own skin and they choose to take it out on, on a young, you know, innocent kid who wasn't perfect. But uh, I wasn't a bad kid. Like I didn't beat anybody up. I didn't bully people. I just couldn't read. And I didn't think that was the greatest sin in the world in hindsight. However, when I reflect back on my life, that was insignificant compared to the voice in my own head and how I used to speak to myself. And sometimes how I speak to myself today. And I think it's it's easier for us to to point, or not even point the finger, but just to highlight these things while they're very dramatic and they're very real. And what you're sharing, I'm not trying to diminish that at all. And what I went through is very real. I, my experience has showed me that it also... Is, is sometimes doesn't even compare to the ongoing dialogue within our own minds, within our own hearts, about how we see and speak about ourselves and how we, yeah, just judge ourselves. And I find that that has been the greatest battle for me. It's probably been the greatest demon that I've had to not deal with. Okay. Because when we say deal, when I say deal with them, I found I like am beyond it. I've had to address it and I've had to, to, to allow some of it to dissolve and I've had to accept the rest and bring it on this journey with me. Hmm.
1: Have you ever read the book, Aspire, Discover Your Life's Purpose Through the Power of Words?
0: No, I, I've rarely read any books. So you could <laughs> like, may, maybe list 20 books and I probably read none of them. Okay. Uh, not because I don't believe in books and I don't believe there's great theory out there and, and philosophy, but because I, I don't read. And then even yeah. with audios, I, I really struggle with that as well.
1: Well, I mean, I I, I read it as somebody gave it to, gifted it to me and it mm. was a really a game changer precisely because of what you said. We spend ninety percent of the time talking to ourselves and, and understanding the origin of words, our subconscious understands it, but we don't necessarily understand it. Like for example, the word discouraged, like when I say to myself, I'm feeling discouraged, what what I'm telling myself is that something or someone is taking away from my heart. Because mm-hmm. the word courage or it means heart, right? So to discourage means to take away from, and uh, and that when I just when that became part of my frame of reference, my language that the my my what I used with myself and with others totally changed, and my whole world opened up. So, mm. how can we do that? So we we spend, as you said, we spend a lot of our time in our in our heads and and in our hearts, and we sometimes that's running away from fear. Sometimes that's running away from um, criticism. But there there does come a time when we do have to turn and we have to face it, and we either have to let it dissolve, as you said, or or address and accept some of it. So how do we go about doing that? And maybe well, maybe before you go there, maybe you can. Tell people when you decided. Okay, I'm going to take my gifts and I'm going to bring them into the world in, in this great business that you have.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's such a big question. I I think you touched on something which is really important. Do you want to be? You will eventually have to turn and face these things. So, do you want to be proactive in that process? Or do you want to be reactive in that process? And for the longest time in the work that I do. Um, I would have I would have attracted or people would have come to me going, okay, finally I'm lost my, my relationship's in trouble I, I'm not in alignment with my business or whatever other thing where if they had addressed that conversation two to three years prior they probably wouldn't have hit as big a wall Now pain, I think is a necessary you know, teacher in this world. However, I think we can eliminate or certainly reduce a tremendous amount of that pain. And um, so I would ask people to be very proactive in it. And one thing I, and again, it's not a contradiction to you or the dialogue we're having, but one thing that people often ask me to do is how do I pivot using language? I think, you know, watching how what we say and how we say it is important. But I'm a big fan of going to the origin. What is what, what is the what is actually going on at your core, which is resulting in you using certain language or speaking about yourself in a condescending, derogatory, or disrespectful way? What is the origin of that? Why don't you like yourself? Why don't you dis respect yourself? What happened along the way? What was done to you, and what did you do to others? And I'll give you a quick example of this. I always remember a lady I worked with, and she said, "Can I get 15 minutes of your time?" And I said, "No problem." And she says, "I'm doing a talk. I'd love your perspective." She comes on the call, and I said, "Right, no disrespect, no, nothing about the weather. Let's get stuck in. Let's let's get straight to it." She says, "Great. I'm about to speak about goal setting uh, for the new year and everything else." And you know, this boom, 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 boom. And in my beautiful, sar- I'm very good at sarcasm. Apparently, in my beautiful <laughs> sarcastic voice, voice, I went, "Wow, I'm so inspired. I've got goosebumps." And she knows me very well. So there's a little bit of context there. And she goes, you're an asshole. And I said, I know that. But this is not about me. This is about you. Is that really the talk you're going to do? And she goes, what's wrong with it? I said, there's nothing wrong with it. But my experience of you is that feels safe. What could be a talk that you could give that you could hardly or barely hold back the tears? And without missing a beat, she goes, bullying. And I made a wrong assumption. I said, oh, you were bullied. She said, no, I was the bully. And I said, well, what would it be like for you to speak about that? She says, I'll cry. I said, I know. And she goes, and then what? I said, well, then cry and then keep crying and then stop crying and open your mouth and speak and then cry again if you need to. She took the advice she did the work not me i just opened it up for her she went she delivered her talk she cried everyone else cried and everyone gave her a standing ovation and the majority of people came up and said that it was the best talk they'd ever heard in their lives she went on to speak in every high school in her pro in northern part of her province in canada she had more speaking events in in the following four months than i had in a year which is amazing so i share that with you because i feel that's just a great example of you know somebody willing to you know you know share a part of you know, their pain, and it opens up this magic so for me, the final part of your question um, is uh, honestly, the truth is this is that I feel that my gifts have been dragged out of me kicking i 've been brought to my gifts kicking and screaming mm. i 'd love to tell you that i 'm this very wise, very visionary person, and i do i can visualize the future in so many ways. But in, 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 in some ways, my gifts were drawn, pulled out of me, kicking and screaming. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of us need in order to show up and impact the world using our gifts as opposed to our talents.
1: You are an insightful man. And obviously, you've surrounded yourself with other insightful people because they have been the ones that have dragged your gifts out of you. In fact, there's a really great proverb that says, uh, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, which I love that image and then it goes on to say and one with insight draws them out so who have who have been the insightful people who have drawn your gifts out kicking and screaming
0: Yeah, well, Trevor Garris, the teacher who was the absolute opposite of the previous teacher I talked about, who uh, believed in me when I didn't believe in myself or I didn't want to believe in myself. He's been a a massive um, instigator in just creating a sacred space for me to imagine, to to play, to be curious. An English teacher uh, who's in Ireland to this day, amazing man. Uh, a, A gentleman called Professor Anthony Clare, who was... Um, you know, ostracized to some extent by the, by the psychiatry community in Ireland, in England, in Europe, because he demystified psychiatry. He was the guy that went on talk shows. He had his own in the psychiatrist chair BBC show. Um, he wrote his own books and he demystified. He didn't believe in just prescribing drugs. He talked about lots of other things. I dated his daughter and. <laughs> travel the world with him for five years and we didn't talk necessarily philosophy specifically on a daily basis but just being around him uh, he was one of the most extraordinary men i've ever met and we connected at a very very deep level and um yeah he was a big influence in my life and um you know i'd obviously say my parents but i don't remember specifically around the work that i do but they certainly created the space for me to play in that regard and they're probably the two most influential people when I look back um, that, that allowed me to do that.
1: When you find yourself having the negative conversations in your head, because we all, no matter how amazing you are, we all still, we're human, We've, we, we, we have, our brains are wired to be that negative, critical thing. But Do you find yourself going back and recalling those memories to, to remind you of what you're capable of?
0: not necessarily what i do is i tend to try to be curious about the negativity that's going on i try to find the source of you know for example when i'm about to speak on stage i always want to puke up and uh, and people are surprised and think yeah you just keep saying that but that's not necessarily true anymore and i said it is it's 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 as that's the same as it's always been maybe slightly reduced but not a lot And they go, so you do the same talk and you get up. And I said, no, the point is I've never done the same talk twice. I mean, there'd be certain stories that will cross over, but I always approach the audience with a brand new perspective, which is not always a great thing, but that's what I do. So I'm always super nervous. But the fear of doing a bungee jump today, the fear of doing a speech today, all that's doing is triggering old fear. So it's like, how are we courageous enough to take the time to understand, not just intellectually, but connect emotionally with old fear, with old patterns. So when it comes up today and is triggered today by a speech or a bungee jump, we can name it. And what I do is I almost turn into it. I almost like turn around and face it head on, sit down with it almost and say, hey, you're back. And the minute you do that with fear, it just starts to reduce. It just... It stops. It just loosens its grip on you. Is the mm-hmm. is the example that I would use, mm-hmm. and it doesn't go away, but it just doesn't control you as much, and therefore you can make wiser, more courageous decisions in the moment in that in that space. As far as I'm concerned,
1: so it's almost kind of like like going. In, you know, if you've seen that movie Inception, like you know, they're go, going through the different layers all the way back to the original source, and and really getting a grip on it and discarding it. So how. How, how have you done that with people? Because in addition to speaking and, and consulting, I mean, you take people on these retreats and like the bravery retreat and all of these things. And, you, and I would imagine that this deep work is happening right then and there.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's 99% of my activity is is one-on-one or one-to-many kind of retreats and stuff like that where we, do, where we do this work. And depending on the experience, sometimes we go back into your childhood and there's these moments, and you and I talked about this off-air before we came on. I mean, there's these, there's these moments which appear to either be insignificant and we judge them and we almost like betray ourselves by saying things like, oh, that was so stupid. Like, what's that got to do with anything? Like, I'll give you an example of this. Um, and I like to give external examples more than personal ones. I, at least I try to. Um, my wife, for example, we we're chatting about. Um significance as it relates to her family and she grew up in a family of seven children and when you are in a family of seven you're trying to find a degree of significance so what ends up happening is you'll all find your place and that's what i always say to parents who particularly let's just say they have two kids they've got johnny and mary and mary's an angel i go how are your kids they go well, i never have to worry about mary mary's amazing she's got great results she's so good johnny's a disaster and he's just we've got to watch him all the time and my view and that is like don't worry too much about johnny but, watch Mary, because with respect, she's being ignored right now. She feels she needs to be perfect in order to stand out. So we'll find a way of fitting or fitting in or standing out in our families. And sometimes what we end up doing is wearing masks to do that at a very early stage, and then that pattern, is ingrained in us. So we keep doing it throughout our 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 adolescence and into our into our you know our adult and so on and so forth. But I remember this story, uh, Pauline said, yeah, I remember one thing and she was always, she was judging it before she even told the story. Mm-hmm. She said, my parents moved from Scotland back to Ireland. They lived there for a few years and they forgot my push share. She had a little doll and the little doll had a push share. And um, and she when she and I said, what happened to it? She says they left it behind. And I said, why? And she said, well, they didn't really care enough about me at that point. And she just broke down, this 40-plus-year-old woman broke down as if she was a six-year-old kid who just realized her pram was back in Scotland. It's not the pram. Or the 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 pram as we call it the the push chair it's right. nothing to do with the push chair is what it's what that represented for her she felt that her parents now this is not true either she felt that her parents didn't give a shit enough about her in order to remember to bring the most important item in her life at that time and she put one and one t- together and came up with fifty five and there was truth in both sides mm-hmm. and 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 she held that and how that impacts her parenting today. And that's ultimately where the conversation started about gifts. Why are, why are gifts such a charge for you? Why is it so important that your kids have more than I believe they should have on Christmas morning and attract all the way back to this one thing?
2: Hmm.
1: And it
0: was extraordinary. So that's an example on a personal level, but also that affects business, guaranteed.
1: Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. You know, it's it, it does go back to that need. I'm one of six kids, so I can understand like what, it, what it's like to grow up in a big family and have your voice be heard. And and I'm definitely, I'm I'm number two. And, you know, we're all loud, every single one of us, with the exception (laughs) of my, my younger brother, Joe, he's 15 years younger than me. And he is, uh, seven years younger than my youngest sister. So he, it was almost like he had his own, like little upbringing to a certain degree, you know? So he's more, he's still loud, but not nearly as loud as the rest of us, (laughs) you know, but, um, you know so
0: can I, can, I, can I add one one little story if you yeah, don't mind? sure because sure. here's the other another story from within the same family so uh one of the I won't give her I won't say her name but one of the old, older girls in the family um obviously at some point decided to take up the fiddle now I didn't know she played the fiddle like a violin and I'm in the kitchen one day and the mother says, My wife's mother said, Noreen, why don't you play a a tune? And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't realize she could play the fiddle. And you know what? I was 100% right. She couldn't. (laughs) And she started what I thought was warming up. And it was like, like this squeaking, like a cat dying, screaming to death. And I'm looking around and some of the family are like tapping their leg to the beat. And I'm thinking, there's no beat. Like, what is going on? I feel like I'm in a, a horror movie right now. And the pain on her face, Noreen playing the, the tune—I've already said her name—is too late now. And the pain on in my heart, like I just—it was one of the most uncomfortable things ever. So anyway, everyone claps at the end. I clap simply because I'm glad it's over, right? And, and we go to the pub that night, as you do in Ireland. And she said to me, "You were very quiet about my music." I said, "Oh, that's what you call it." <laughs> now, before anyone on, the, on this on this listening to this judges me. You can judge me regardless, but just bear with me for a second. I said, is that what you call it? And she goes, was I that bad? I said, you were horrendous. Mm. And she goes, well, what about the encouragement? And I said, I would never encourage anybody to do something they don't want to do. And she says, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Mm-hmm. I said, I don't care about the music. I don't care about whether you've got the the, 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 the right notes. I couldn't give a shit, but you didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't One ounce of love or excitement or anything in your face. hmm And she said, yeah, I don't really like it. And I guarantee what happened, we realized that Pauline's great-grandfather, her grandfather was a famous fiddle player. And one day, her mother said something this simple. She said, wouldn't it be great if one of our kids kept up the tradition of the fiddle? And Noreen saw a door open, a gateway open into significance as it relates to the family. The final piece of the story, a couple of months later, knock on the door, we're living in this little cottage in Dublin. I open the door and there's Noreen. And she says, I've given up the fiddle. And I said, Thanks be to God. And she picks up this painting. She says, I've taken up painting. And she shows it to me. And the painting was complete shit. But it didn't matter because the joy in her face, she <laughs> yeah. gave herself permission to do something she wanted to do. Yes. And that's just the other side of the of the, the coin as it relates to that family story.
1: I, I love it. And in fact, in my so in my book, Master the Key, A Story for Your Potential, there it's broken into four parts story, gifts, action, and community. And one of the points that the book makes, one of the main characters in the book makes is that we too often make the mistake of associating our gifts with status or achievement. And, yeah. and if we surrender that, then the, the door opens to possibility of what we're capable of creating. And it could be a really ugly painting, but it might bring you joy. And if it brings you joy, guess what you're going to do? You're going to bring joy to others. And ultimately, that's your gift. Yeah, Right. absolutely. Why is it that we confuse the need to feel like we matter with a need to be noticed?
2: Well,
0: I think it ties back into your previous point. I think if you're tying your gift into some sort of recognition or result, I would argue and say that it's not really... You're not really allowing your gift to shine. It's really still... You're still caught on your talent. I think also... We have this deep desire to be seen and recognized and heard by the world because of our deep insecurities within ourselves. Yeah, I, I feel that ego plays such a massive role. And it, 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 I think the difference here is our, our minds. I mean, I think take public speaking, for example. And people have always said to me is, oh, that public speaking is the greatest fear in the world. And I teach a lot of people how to create their one last talks and you know present it publicly. And, you know, people say, oh, it's the number one fear in the world. It's ahead of, according to the research, being buried alive with snakes, burning to death, et cetera. And I have always questioned that. I've never landed with me. And I I dug into that and I said to myself, okay, how true is that for me? How true is that potentially for the world? And I really worked through this over months and months and months. And I realized that it's not public speaking at all. It's what public speaking represents. And what public speaking represents as it relates to fear is that I will stand or somebody else will stand on stage they will say something wrong and they will be misunderstood, unheard, or most likely judged. In other words, they'll mess it up. Okay, so is that is that the fear? Well, no, it's not really. The bigger fear is, if you go deeper than that, is if I'm being judged by the audience, then they don't have an opportunity to love me. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, my greatest fear is that I will not be loved at some, some point. So I don't connect as much, and I appreciate lots of people do, with, with mattering. Um, or, or, or I'm definitely probably a little bit more connected to being seen. I think be, you know wanting to matter and be seen can, can be so similar. I don't think people know how to separate the two. But I think if you start to really understand where that comes from... So, for example, there's an old pattern for me. It's about people not showing up. It's about rejection. And that's a deep pattern in me. And how that shows up is if I decide to launch a retreat and people don't come, I don't get... Any negativity from a revenue standpoint, I don't get There's no concerns for me in that regard. But there's this deep concern that people are not going to show up because I take that. Albeit I've worked tremendously on it as way less than it it was. I see that as they're rejecting Philip McKernan. Not Mm. my work, Mm -hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And when I start to really understand that, it allows me to approach these things and navigate these things very, very differently. So mm-hmm. I think it's. And if you weren't seen, if you weren't heard, if you weren't heard in your family, well, then what you do, you, you raise your voice. I mean, on a very basic level. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I don't I don't know I'm not I'm not I'm not that's that's all I have right now in relation to that.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. I, I can relate to that feeling of, of, when, of rejection when people don't see you or honor you or show up for you. Then the conversation is, I'm not enough. Hmm. You know, just just me. I'm not enough. You know, and it can happen at a small level, and it can happen at at a business level. You know, where where you are, you've put your heart and soul into something, and you know you're convicted that it's the right thing for that person or that group of people, and you're excited to present it to them, and then they say no, and you're like, wait, what? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, the, the matter thing is, is it's stirring. I can—I know how I work. It's stirring inside of me. So I'm still with this mattering thing. And, I, and I'm going to give you a quick little kind of like sidebar on this, is that the mattering is so important that we recognize who we want to matter to. Hmm. And there's a question for maybe your audience to consider is, is this, is who are you seeking validation from today? Not are you seeking validation from somebody today, because if you ask yourself that question, as a likelihood you go, well, not, not anybody really. Who are you seeking validation from today? Guaranteed, every single human being is seeking validation from at least one major source and maybe others. And often the source they're seeking validation from is the person that perhaps has hurt them the most. Maybe it's the person that abandoned them as a, and he, the person that maybe has even passed away. I've worked with people who, when I ask them that question and they're honest, they'll say, my father who left me. When I was two years old, I literally had this example. And yet I'm deep down seeking validation. So if he ever walks through the door, I have everything perfect, everything set up so I can look at him and say, F you, I don't need you. And what it's doing is it's driving people to create success but it's not ever allowing people to be to feel satisfied. So when I went to the Olympic Games with a, a bunch of uh, athletes, I realized that not a small portion of them, not a large portion of them, but every one of the major athletes weren't there to serve their country and they weren't there the love of their sport. They were there because they were seeking validation from, in most cases, their father. Mm. And when it didn't come, the more successful they got, they finally realized no matter, even if they won gold, it was never going to come. And then they had to work on the relationship with themselves. So when we think about matter, do we want to matter in the world? Do we want to matter because mattering means Oprah has called me and I'm on her show? Does it? Is what's mattering and who specifically are the people you want to matter to? Mm-hmm. If you understand that, then you can break it down and see what's real and what's not real. Mm-hmm. Because if you're obsessed or concerned about mattering or even being seen, I would argue that you're not in alignment with your gift. Because when you are in alignment and you're in a state of flow, which, by the way, is not and is not owned and trademarked by athletes and, and sport, it's available to all humans. When you're in that state of flow, you don't care as much about being seen or mattering. You just keep doing what you do. And the byproduct of that is you'll probably end up mattering a, a feckin' ton to the world. Mm-hmm. And you might end up being seen by a ton. But if that's your goal, and most people say, oh, that's not my goal, but deep down, they're desiring it, and they're needing it for that that internal recognition. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody; the more they want to be secure, so if someone says, oh, "But I just want to have financial security, I just want to be secure," all that saying is how deeply insecure you are. <laughs> to the extent you need security, just represents to the extent you are insecure within your own soul.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I that think, makes some sense. Yeah, no, it does. It's it, it's it's really uh, it's true. You know, like I think that. We all have issues that stem back to our childhood because the reality is that that no one's perfect. You know, I, I have my mom and dad are still married today. Um, you know, I work with my family and our family business, but we're not perfect. My dad was not perfect, and I am. I if I'm being really honest, to this day as a 39 year old man, when when I do things, I'm. I think I'm still seeking validation from him. I'm getting better in the sense that I'm, I'm detached more from that need, but that's relatively recent, as in the last, you know, maybe eight to 10 years, you know, yeah. of, of my life. Um, and certainly in the last three, it's accelerated tremendously where I don't necessarily act based on a need to feel validated by him or a, an approval. By him, but certainly for the vast majority of my life, up to the last three years, really, uh, it's been a desire to be validated, to be seen, to have the light of my dad shone upon me, and that's because you know um, I'm one of six kids. For the first thirteen years of my life, my dad was an army officer, you know, and he was gone quite a bit. He was he would come home, he was home, but he was he had. Duty and responsibility to the country, and to his commanding officers, and to his troops, and and he was there, right. And I, rightly or wrongly, I didn't necessarily have the perception that he was there for me, right. But he was there for them, and I had my my childhood best friend's dad. Uh, his name was Earl, and he was. You know, my second father, he was the dad in the neighborhood. He was home at six o'clock. He would play with us. We would do all those things. And then he was killed by a drunk driver when we were uh, like 13 or 14 years old. So that was devastating, you know. And then my dad left the army uh, when I was uh, 14 and then became an entrepreneur. So, as you know, being an entrepreneur, it's not like, you know, you go from, you know, stability, quote unquote, financially with the military to, you know this flexibility and freedom but that also comes at a great cost of needing to just be all in all the time and so he yeah, he understand. was still not there so it was it was challenging and and that is something that i've really reconciled and i used to be super resentful i used to have like these stones of resentment within me but that but through prayer through meditation through counseling i've lifted those up some of them i've i've gotten rid of some of them i've kept because they add to the character of who I am, the, the, the joy that I give, the attention that I give to my kids, the relationship I have with my spouse, the presence I am to, to my friends. It's a byproduct of those experiences.
0: Yeah, 100%. And there's one last thing I'd like to say on, on, on mattering is that we spend a lot of our time in this world looking to matter elsewhere, externally. And we look for extrinsic extrinsic validation to, in order to feel that we matter. It doesn't matter. There is no amount of external validation on earth that is ever 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 going to be able to, um, you know, fill the gap. If you don't matter at some level to yourself,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and that to me is the most important relationship on earth. That is probably the most underrated under service relationship and that is how do we actually view ourselves do we do we have a degree of self-respect do we actually trust ourselves which is a question I've asked a lot of people in recent times and most people of course I do but you actually really think about trust as it relates to you do you can you sit there and say I like, categorically not hundred percent but do I really trust myself and therefore my intuition therefore my decisions and so on and so forth and mm-hmm. most people's answer to that is they don't know or the answer is no
1: have you are you familiar with the concept of ghosting? No. Okay, so ghosting is when you go to a party and it's like a Christmas party, right? You go to a Christmas party and you're there and you say hello to everybody and then you just leave without saying goodbye, right? And so that's, that happens at a micro level with, with your friends and family. Like You'll have a party with your friends and all of a sudden you'll notice, and you'll say, well, dang, Joe and John are, are just not here anymore. They're, they left without saying goodbye, you know? Well, the Washington Post just came out with an article that that is now happening at a corporate level, where you have employees for these corporations that are just ghosting, they're quitting, and they're not saying anything to their employers. And I I think it it does tie into what we're talking about, you know, because they're not feeling seen, heard, or acknowledged, or validated, or whatever. They're at work. They don't feel like they matter. And one of the questions as I was reading this article, I was reading this article today and it made me think about your work. And I want to throw this question out at you. It's kind of, I haven't really thought the question through, but like I want to just see what you, how you riff on it. The question is Can people fulfill their potential doing work? Can people realize who they are capable of and and what they can do. Can they fulfill that or find that or discover that doing work that doesn't necessarily bring them joy? Going back to your, your sister-in-law who was playing poorly playing the violin, maybe it's the same kind of example except in a, in a work setting.
0: No, I believe they can't, no. You can't go to work for seven, eight hours, nine hours a day uh, do something that doesn't b- bring some type of joy or fulfillment to your to your heart, your soul, and stimulate your mind at the same time, and come home and expect to be happy mm-hmm. Um, um, mm-hmm. or fulfilled. I, I don't think that's possible, um, you know. And again, you know, this is a, an interesting territory. Um, so I give an example of somebody recently who contacted me, uh, and and I I used Google as the company and Mary as her name. Um, it's not Google, but it's a very similar company, and her name is not Mary. And she said to me, I will get paid a lot of money, I get great autonomy, I get a lot of creative freedom, I have an amazing team, I work with a really cool, cool business that's also recognized globally as a great business to work for. And they've won, won one of all the lots of awards <clears throat> as being the best workplace and so on. But she said, there's something niggling at me. And that niggling voice is that deeper kind of like your soul's tipping you on the shoulder saying, hey, this ain't for you, or in totality, like this if this is all you do, this is not gonna work. And that tip will become a, a whisper, a, a conversation, a roar. And finally, the universe will always take out the sledgehammer and take you down. <laughs> whether it's a mental breakdown, you know, whether it's a depression, whether it's some sort of wake-up call, it'll eventually take you down, always. Um, and I just said to her, you know, we're chatting about it, and, and she was quite resistant. So she was on the call seeking clarity, but yet she didn't want the clarity. And I, I find that all the time. And then finally, she said something. I said, "So, so what really is preventing you from even really imagining because you're saying you don't know what would be next. But I I sense that you don't want to know what's next. Mm-hmm. So if that's true, just play with it for a moment. What's, what's the hesitation? He goes, I'm just so comfortable where I am. And I was about to move on in the conversation. And I caught myself going, hang on a second. How dangerous a statement is what, what you just said?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I said, because and I'm on a Zoom call. And I said, because you don't look comfortable to me. You don't sound comfortable to me. And I just paused and I created the silence and she just started crying. Mm -hmm. She says, I'm not. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, she needed to get in touch with the uncomfortableness of her current reality. In other words, the pain had to land before she started to really realize that actually she's out of alignment. Mm -hmm. Um, Can that girl reach her full potential? Can she be fully fulfilled staying in that job and doing nothing? So absolutely not i mm-hmm. absolutely do not believe that's possible mm-hmm. particularly when it comes to work and relationships because we spend so much of our time in that place and and people people say things like and this is i think this is a crucial part she'll say but i'm afraid if i leave i'll fail i'm afraid if i leave and do something different i'll fail my argument is you're failing yourself today Mm-hmm. Every single day, you're letting yourself down, you're betraying yourself, you're failing yourself.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now,
0: whether she leaves that company, I'm not attached to that. Maybe she can pivot a role, but at least begin to experiment in her life on the side, like a side hustle or whatever. And that's what I did when I was working in, a, in an organization. I was coaching people in a pub one hour a week for six weeks. And then at the end of it, they couldn't work with me anymore. At least I was playing with these ideas, playing with these possibilities. And they were like, whether it's just a hobby or whether I turned into a professional gig, that was a choice later in, later in life.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's so powerful what you just said. And I think that anybody who's a leader of, of an organization was just presented with a, a really massive opportunity to help their people because... Right now, 85% of employees are disengaged, actively disengaged when they're at work. And it's costing businesses $7 trillion. And they're trying to figure out a solution to this. And it has nothing to do with the company's mission, vision, and values. It has everything to do with your people and helping them realize what they're capable of and what brings joy to them. If you do that as a, as a leader in a company, then you have a chance of maybe closing the gap on that.
0: you know. Okay, so I'm very clear on this piece. So what nobody really knows um, is because it's not on our website is I created a body of work called Team Deepening. So team building is, you know, you go mountain climbing, clay pigeon shooting, whatever. Um, So we've created a philosophy around Team Deepening. Um, And without getting into too much details, I've worked with a couple of organizations um, that are open to bringing this in. And when I say open to bringing this in is my belief is that if you help your individual people connect with themselves, they'll in turn connect with everyone around them. And what will happen is the byproduct of that is more fulfillment, more engagement, more less attrition, more loyalty, etc., etc. The problem is companies will only bring that in as long as you can show them on a spreadsheet, um, on a graph of how this is going to directly apply to productivity and profit. So here's the thing. Companies will say their number one value or, or principle is people, but they should reposition that... If they don't believe in this philosophy that their number one value is people, as long as those people are profitable and pr- productive, there's a big difference. And I believe if you help people off the ice, they will become naturally better on the ice organically. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and just just one last piece on this. Somebody might be sitting there going, hang on a second. Hang on a second. I was kind of half into this conversation before. Now I'm lost because you're telling me that it's my responsibility to take employee Jenny and employee John, and it's my responsibility to help them be fulfilled and happy on their personal lives. No, I'm not saying that. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It may not be your responsibility, but I promise you one thing, when they walk through the door into your organization, it suddenly becomes your problem. Mm-hmm. I just spent a day with an organization last week, a small entrepreneurial company that are doing really cool things. Mm-hmm. I worked with 17 of their team. And I basically, everything we did, I said, okay, now, how do you bring this in to your organization? And how does it affect and cloud your judgment in this room? Even though you're not meant to have this conversation, we're not meant to talk about this. And the insights and, 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 and awarenesses and honesty that people shared was extraordinary.
1: Yeah, it's really fascinating, and, and I was talking with a, a friend of mine the other day about his daughter, who's a super high-performing top consultant at a big major consulting company. Has you know, on the face of it, has the dream job, the expense account, the the car, the travel, all of that stuff. Beautiful house, you know, brand name, uh, everything. But at the end of every day, you know what she thinks about opening up a flower shop.
0: Of course. And here's the challenge with that. Let's just play on that just for a moment. How many people have opened up flower shops to find out that that's not their gig either? How many people have opened up bakeries because it represents something that is almost feels like the opposite of what they're doing? So I'm not suggesting that she shouldn't do a flower shop. But I've worked with a client who opened up a flower shop before I got to work with it. So she said, I've opened it up. I'm not enjoying it. Can you help me? So what ends up happening is this is where people have got to be really, really careful. Is That is, sometimes a flower shop represents something that's exciting. In other words, my job is so boring, so I'm so disconnected, that a flower shop offers this almost sense of oppositeness. I know there's no such word. It's almost, it's the complete opposite. And therefore, it feels exciting, it feels fresh, and it feels new. So that's okay. But here's the challenge. No, no, flowers are my passion. Flowers are my passion. Great. Don't open a flower shop. Quit your job if that's what you feel you need to do work in the flower industry for a year or two to make sure it's what you want. Because it might just be excitement, not Mm -hmm. passion. Excitement Mm -hmm. runs out, passion doesn't. Mm -hmm. So here's my challenge for that, that individual is that they might leave, open up a flower shop, and whether they're challenged financially or just in terms of drive. And then that drive diminishes, not because there's something wrong with them, not because they're not entrepreneurial. And this is the challenge. They step into the flower shop, they just pick the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. for the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. Or step into a temporary because you might be an incredible entrepreneur, but you just pick the wrong horse to back. Mm-hmm. But then what happens if it doesn't work or you run out of energy, they start internalizing that going, you see, I'm not meant to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to go back to consulting the same gig, different company, and I'm assuming I'll be happy and it doesn't work either. So be really careful. And the final thing of this is that typically when we have conversations about a lack of fulfillment or alignment, we typically use the corporate sector as an example of that. And your stats are frightening how many people are disengaged. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I also want to point out is I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. And a lot of entrepreneurs are coming across similar patterns because it's a human pattern. Just because you become an entrepreneur doesn't mean that you're suddenly safe and you've got this bubble of, of safetiness that you'll never experience a lack of fulfillment. So the same principle and the same patterns arise both in entrepreneurship, but I think we have an opportunity to pivot how we do entrepreneurship or the way we do it or basically what we do it within. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very important conversation just to... Or even just point to make. We don't have to expand on unnecessarily
1: necessarily. You know, Phil, this has been a wonderful conversation. And I know that uh, we, we, we could continue this conversation for a lot longer. But you do have uh, other places to go and people to impact. But I, I want to make sure that we do... Th- a couple things. One is give people an idea where they can connect with you and interact with your work. And then I have three questions to wrap things up that I ask every single guest. So where can people connect with you first?
0: If it's okay with you, I would love just to mention the book I just came out with. Yes, absolutely. Uh, It's called One Last Talk, and I won't get into the details, but I would implore and ask everyone to look at that because I feel it's the most important exercise or experience that people can go through to understand themselves. It's like therapy and coaching wrapped up. It's a five-year therapy and coaching program. This is not my words. This is the words I'm hearing back from our clients. Um, So onelasttalk.com, I would I would ask people to check that out in that movement. And also philipmccurnan.com is my own website and people can find
1: out who I am there. Okay. We will definitely link to all of those things in the show notes. And the first of the three questions is if you, Philip, could take any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be?
0: Um, I know I have an ability to see into people's lives, into their souls. Uh, I've been told that. I, I, you'll never ever hear me say that myself. I've been told that, um, and to be able to actually almost have the sense of knowing where they're going. Mm. Um, I've been told that is a superpower already. I'm not sure, but I'd like to continue to expand that and actually gift that to the world. I want to show people how they can do that in their own unique way. Mm.
1: Powerful. I love that. You know, there was a. There was a saint uh, in the Catholic Church named Saint Padre Pio, who who was said that he could read. He had a gift of being able to read hearts, where someone could come up to him and and they could not tell him anything, and he could tell them what they were struggling with. Power. It it is a superpower. It's definitely a gift. What are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing what we're fully capable of becoming?
0: Wow. Uh, three lies that we tell ourselves is, uh, number one is my relationship to my my family or my kids is amazing. Um, and it might well be, but when it's amazing and it's a 9 or a 10 out of a 10, well, then there's not really a whole lot of room for growth. So my, my ask and my wish is that people, not to beat themselves up, not to judge themselves, but to allow themselves to challenge themselves to go deeper, is assume naturally that you're a 5 or a 6 and always assume that you're going to have greater growth. And number one. Number two is... Um, that I'm comfortable. I'm just going to use the story I used earlier on that I'm comfortable in the job that I'm in or this is as good as it gets. And then the final one is that my best work, the best work or the best expression of who I am is who I am today. My belief is the greatest work that we have to do in this world, the greatest impact that we can make is actually ahead of all of us. And the unfortunate reality, even in some of the greatest musicians that we've ever heard of, some of the greatest artists that have ever passed through this universe, most of them have actually died with their greatest songs, their greatest sculptures, and their greatest paintings still inside their souls. And I think that's a tragedy. So just assume naturally that the greatest work you have to do is ahead of you. And don't lie to yourself today and say it's as good as it gets today. And what I've done in the past is, is 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 everything the world is gonna say.
1: Speaking of artists, the last question has to do with your favorite art form. So what is your favorite art form?
0: Wow, Jesus, you're pushing me today. Uh, my favorite art form is poetry. Okay. So, and, um,
1: so poetry. Yeah. So the, the question the question is this is this is gonna push you. So this is <laughs> that, that was the precursor. So the question is, it's a hundred years from now, and you've left a set of instructions for a Po, uh, for a poet to come up with some prose to tell your story what would it be a haiku would it be a sonnet what would the what would it be like
0: it would be okay. a simple quote okay and it would be we give ourselves what we feel we deserve hmm. we give ourselves what we feel we deserve so it doesn't matter what goals dreams and aspirations you create it doesn't matter what you say you're going to do in this world and who you're going to be It doesn't matter what vision board that you create, it doesn't matter what mission statement, what business plan that you create, every single day when you step out of your bed, you're seeking to validate how you feel about yourself. And my wish for humanity is if we did nothing else and we worked on how we are in relationship to ourselves, therefore we would deserve greater and better things for ourselves and humanity. We give ourselves what we feel we deserve. That would be what I would leave the world with. And I would ask a poet to either make it sound sexier, build it into a poem that maybe it makes more sense or whatever, I don't know.
1: I love it, Philip. That was a powerful answer. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. And I look forward to continuing to stay in touch with you.
0: I appreciate you having me on. Thank you.
1: Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at TheImpactEntrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting FlynnWealthStrategies.com the Lot Marketing Group, and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.